0: As Steve has already mentioned, this is a day that our nation has selected as a day to especially honor our mothers and how important they are. In fact, the home's most important member may be the mother. It was William Stuart Ross who said, for the hand that rocks the cradle, it is the hand that rocks the cradle that rules the world. E.C. Baird wrote some very beautiful and very pertinent words concerning the home and the mother. When he wrote, there is a kingdom called the home where mother reigns as queen. The treasures fair that cluster there, not elsewhere may be seen. She loves this kingdom of the home. And here she builds her throne. The things of worth that bless the earth Find here a safety zone. Here children live in blessedness, protected by her love. With gentle sway, she leads the way through wisdom from above. Her word, her smile, her soft caress, she rules her realm with these. With humble heart, she does her part and conquers on her knees. Keep clean your kingdom, sweet and fair, O mother, fine and true. For in this fight for God and right, so much depends on you. And that is so true. So much does depend upon our mothers. The poet Longfellow wrote, Even he who died for us upon the cross in the last hour, in the unutterable agony of death, was mindful of his mother. As if to teach us that this holy love should be our last worldly thought, the last point of earth from which the soul should take its flight to heaven. Remember Jesus said to John, Behold your mother. He wanted his mother to be taken care of after he was gone back to the Father in heaven. How powerful is a mother's influence? Well, we know influence is a powerful thing. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light So shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Influence is a powerful thing, and all of us should take it very personally, but that's one point about a mother's influence. It is personal. It cannot be abdicated to someone else. She is to maintain that responsibility for that influence. It's a personal influence. It's a perceivable influence perceived by her actions, and it's also a perpetual influence because... It lives on in her children. Napoleon said the destiny of the child is always the work of the mother. You've heard me mention from this pulpit and in class more than once the name of one of the dearest friends I ever had on earth, and that was Richard L. Curry. Our sister Nina Hicks was very close to the Curry family, as were we. My privilege to sit at his feet and study under him at Memphis School of Preaching, and then later to teach for a while with him at Memphis School of Preaching. We were very, very close. I remember hearing him preach one time in a lesson where he talked about his mother. And he said that hardly a day passed that he did not think of his mother and remember her words of advice and encouragement. And he gave an illustration of how much his mother had helped him. He said when he was 12 years old, He was going to make a talk on Wednesday night, 12 years old, pretty frightening thing potentially. Didn't know what his subject would be. And his mother suggested that he speak on Matthew 25, on the parable of the virgin. She said there's some good lessons there on preparedness and watchfulness. She suggested to him that that would be a good, good lesson, and she promised she would help him. Work up that lesson. So she worked with him and he worked hard. He said, I had two or three pages of notes and as soon as I got up on Wednesday night to speak, the lights went out. And he said, there went my speech. And he said, I thought to myself then, I'll never do this again. But thankfully, he did. (laughs) He did it again and again and again. And then he talked about when he was 17 years old and he had decided he wanted to go to Freed Hardeman School, and his parents, his parents were not able to send him, and so he was going to have to work his way through school. But he said he remembered the very morning that he left home in Winchester, Kentucky, to leave for Freed Hardeman. He said, "I I stood by a little heater in the upstairs bedroom, and my mother, with tears running down her cheeks." said, Richard, be the best preacher you can be. And remember that I'll think of you day and night. Be a humble preacher. Be a credit to the cause of Christ. Until the day he died, he was just that. A credit to the cause of Christ. And when I think about the influence that his mother had upon him, an influence that in turn influenced countless lives through his preaching, through his teaching, through his continual commitment to his mother's charge to be a humble preacher and to be a credit to the cause of Christ. It's a reminder of how powerful the influence of a mother can be and how powerful influence can be. The poet wrote, I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded at my will. I came again when days were past. The form I gave it, still it bore, and as my fingers pressed it still, I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded with my power and art a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impressed bore, and I could change it nevermore. We think about the godly mothers in Scripture, and they are beautiful examples. Sarah, Hebrews 11, verse 11. And others that are mentioned there, but in that chapter, Sarah is mentioned at Verse 11, as one who by faith herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. In the Old Testament, we see also Hannah. In 1 Samuel 1, beginning at verse 1, there's a beautiful description of how she had prayed to God for a child, for a son. And God granted her request and she named him Samuel which means asked of the Lord because she had asked the Lord for that son. And then she gave him to the Lord just as she had promised to do into the service of the Lord and every year she came with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice and she brought him a little coat, do you remember, each year when she came. Her son was one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament. He was prophet, he was priest, he was judge. He served in all three of those honorable and great capacities. And then God blessed Hannah with three more sons and two more daughters. We read of Rachel in Genesis 30 who cried out, Give me children or else I die. That's interesting, isn't it? Ironic, tragically ironic. Give me children or else I die when there are so many today who don't want them and when they become pregnant they abort them. But Rachel said, Give me children or else I die. If you thought about the fact that woman has the unique and exclusive privilege of working with God through his natural law, in giving birth to another human being. That's about as close to creation as one could possibly get, isn't it? Yet many women rebel against that honor and abort their children. But Rachel had two children, Joseph and Benjamin, and of course you remember she died when Benjamin was born. But what do we read about Joseph? We read about the faithfulness of Joseph, his impeccable character. Do you think his mother had any influence over him? And what about, as we go back to Hebrews 11, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And what is said of Amram and Jochebed, Amram, her husband, they had tremendous faith. Look at verses 23 through 26 of Hebrews 11. Eleven By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. That's a great passage that reminds us that Amram and Jochebed's faith was a courageous faith. They didn't fear the command of of the king who had determined to kill all these male children, wanted them all dead, and they defied his decree. It was a courageous faith, but it was also a contagious faith. Because you remember that as they put that baby Moses in that little ark, and set him afloat on the Nile River, that it was Pharaoh's daughter who found him. And that he became her son, in effect, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But, but, who was it that was brought to help her? rear of the child. Providence worked it out so that it was Moses' own mother, Jochebed. What kind of training do you believe she instilled in this young man? It was the kind of training that helped him have a conquering faith, a faith that would cause him to leave a tub of butter. <laughs> As my friend Rod Rutherford used to say, we just... You know, you can be in a tub of butter. That means you got it made if you're in a tub of butter. Well, Moses was in a tub of butter in his day, wasn't he? In Egypt, where he had everything. And yet he was willing to turn his back upon all of that. Because, obviously, I believe his mother helped him to have a conquering faith, the kind of faith about which John writes in 1 John 5 and verse 4 when he says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the victory, as we often sing, that can overcome the world. And Jochebed must have taught her son so well to love God that riches and fame and position and a king's palace could not eradicate that love listen to it again in Hebrews 11:25 choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin now we've talked about before when you look at Hebrews 11:25 you cannot read that verse and deny that sin is pleasurable sin is pleasurable that's what the verse makes clear but it is also a passing pleasure. The pleasure of sin will pass. It's temporary. Eternity is forever. And Moses understood the importance of making the right choice. Why? There's no question about the fact that his mother made a difference in that regard. Then we look at Elizabeth the mother of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptizer. And a beautiful statement is made about Elizabeth and her husband in Luke 1, verses 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They weren't sinless, but they were blameless. They were righteous before God. They became the parents of the forerunner of the Christ himself. And what about the mother of the Christ, Mary? Mary was a godly woman. And she rejoiced when she heard the news that she was to bear the Son of God, she said he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And in Luke chapter 2, we read more about Mary and the fact that she was a good, moral, humble woman. She was a caring mother. When we turn over to Luke chapter 2, at uh, verse 48 of chapter 2, we see the kind of concern that she had because they had left the son unknowingly in Jerusalem and thought he was among the company and realized he was not. And so when they came and found him, they were amazed. He was there in the temple conversing with the scribes and Pharisees and so forth. They said, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Don't you wish that every parent would seek anxiously the welfare of their children in every way as Mary and Joseph did. She was also one who obeyed civil law. They went down to be taxed, according to Luke 2, 1 through 5. She obeyed God's law because after her days of purification were done, Luke two twenty two through 24 says she went and offered the sacrifice that was required in the law of Moses after her days of purification. And Jesus himself, Luke 2 reminds us, was subject to his parents. In verse 51 and 52, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. A godly family. Godly mothers teach their children. Godly mothers train their children. Proverbs 31 verse 1 reminds us of a king, King Lemuel. The verse says, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. The utterance which his mother taught him. And you remember what was said by Paul to Timothy as he wrote to his young son in the gospel and wrote about the background that Timothy was blessed to have? 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, when I called to remembrance... The genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And then he said, and I am persuaded in you also. That's a beautiful statement about generational responsibility being carried out faithfully and how important it is to carry out that generational responsibility. Reminds us of what Paul wrote elsewhere in this epistle. In verse 2 of chapter 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That needs to be our concern as parents, to teach to our children, to instill in our children that which we trust them to instill in their children and in their children's children. Do they always respond as we would hope? No, they don't. And parents must not be too hard on themselves when things don't work out as they hope and pray and work to have them achieve. Gets us back to the statement in Proverbs 22, 6, doesn't it? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. We've talked about that passage before and how some parents kind of beat themselves up if their child reaches young adulthood and does not become a Christian or is not faithful any longer, and they say, well... What happened? That passage says if we would train him up till he's a young adult, till he's old, no, passage doesn't say that. The passage says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, if he lives out that teaching into old age, he's not likely to depart from it. But the man who wrote those words by inspiration was an exception. He himself departed in his old age, Solomon, as his foreign wives led him astray. So what does old mean in Proverbs six? It means old. It means just what it says. Not a teenager, not a young adult. It means old. And so parents are to do the best they can. But even as they do, things do not always work because every child is an individual with a spirit, with an attitude, with a propensity at times to allow the world to creep in and lead that child astray, because Satan is deceitful and he will use anything and any one that he can to lead astray anyone and everyone that he can. And yet mothers, and fathers for that matter, but we're concentrating on mothers today, should teach their children what? Teach them to develop proper character. Teach them the high cost of sin at the earliest possible age. Teach them the beauty of obedience. Teach them the preciousness of the Lord's church. Teach them respect for authority. Teach them about the importance of a Christian home, the sanctity and the permanence of marriage. Teach them to love the spiritual over the material. Teach them to love the family. And teach them to love God above all. Remember Jochebed. He obviously taught Moses to love God above Egypt. And sometimes Egypt is thought about figuratively as, as sin or representing a sinful world. Forsaking the riches, the worldliness of Egypt. And trading that for suffering affliction with the people of God. Why? Because he looked for the reward. Where are we looking? Where are we teaching our children to look? Ira Douthit, the late gospel preacher, wrote, It took a Jezebel to give the world a human devil, a Jochebed to give us Moses, a Hannah to give us Samuel, and Elizabeth to give us John the Baptist. And God selected Mary to be the mother of Christ. And then he says, This old world was lost through a woman, And there is not a greater power on earth to save the world than a real, true Christian mother. May the good Lord give us more of them. And certainly, we agree with those words of the late Ira Douthit. May God give us not only more godly mothers, but more godly fathers, more godly homes. Because indeed, the home is so vitally crucial The church can only supplement really what the home has the primary responsibility of doing. Because the church in four hours a week, if you have them here every time the doors are open, can never offset what's not being done in the home and the teaching that needs to be done there. Whether it ultimately takes or not, we need to ultimately know that we've done all that we can to make our homes whether we're fathers or mothers, or whether we're the children in those homes, to make those homes the kind of homes that God would have them be. You can't do that if you're not a Christian. And so this morning we plead with you, if you're outside of Christ, to put Christ on. How? In baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians, have put on Christ. We plead with you to do that this morning. Oh, it's not baptism alone that will allow you to be in Christ. You must precede that submissive burial in water where the blood is applied. You must precede that with a faith, the kind of faith about which we've talked in some of these godly women in Scripture. You must precede that baptism by a faith that will lead you to fully repent of your sins, to confess freely that Jesus is the Christ, and then to be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. And then... You'll rise to walk in newness of life added to the family of God where you can work not only in that family but in your own family to make it the kind of family God would have it be. If you've done those things we've just outlined from Scripture but you know you have not continued to be a faithful member of the family of God and your own family has suffered as a result, if you've sinned in a way to bring reproach upon God's family, the church, come home to the family and to the Father through repentance and confession of any sin that needs to be confessed publicly. And may all the godly women in this audience and men continue to be just that kind of woman, that kind of man. that sets the right example, whether your children are still at home or, or have left the nest some time ago. Let them know that when they do come home for a visit like some have done today, they're coming home to a home that is godly a home that continues to be faithful, a home that they can have confidence in to continue to be faithful for as long as those parents are alive. If you need to respond this morning as we stand to sing, will you come?